You are listening to the REI Mastermind Podcast. Join JD as he chats with industry-leading real estate experts and professionals. We learn from their experience and uncover the strategies to their success that we can implement into our own businesses and we can drive immediate results today. They share their experience and wisdom as we build the foundation to our own success. This is the REI Mastermind Network. Well, we have Scott Carson on the call, and we, we, we're going to tackle a kind of a unique topic here today because I told you, Scott, we are going to kind of do a level 101 on this because uh, I haven't had a lot of uh, talk around note investing. Um, and you talk, you specialize in distress notes. So this is going to be a, a really interesting, and you're going to have to talk to me like I know nothing about it because, surprise, surprise, I know very little about this. <laughs> So, well, you're not alone. I will tell you that you're not alone, Jack, because when most people think about notes, they think about basically owner financing, uh, that kind of stuff, or they think about dollar bills or actually a notepad where I take notes on when you look at this <laughs> stuff. But, um, yeah, you know, I've been, I've known across, I guess you say the, the world now, the United States, at least for you, is the note guy. Uh, and I, I focus on that small niche of, uh, well, it's a, it's a growing bigger every day with the market being like it is, but that small niche of real estate investors that buys distressed debt, or as we call it, NPNs or non-performing notes. And what a, what a non-performing note is, is basically it's a note where the borrower hasn't paid in at least 90 days. You know, they okay. haven't paid 90 days and usually we see stuff further than that. And when we buy that note, we... You know, I buy directly from banks and hedge funds and lending institutions out there. And basically, it's like a bank to bank transaction. I'm not a bank, but I become the lender when I buy that note from the bank. And why I buy non-performing and some people are like, well, why would you ever invest in a non-performing asset mm -hmm. is we buy that debt usually at a pretty substantial discount, you know, 40, 50, 60 cents off of the value of the property. Uh, or the value of the note, the, the balance of the note, depending on which is, which is less. And our goal, unlike many real estate investors, is really not to take the property back. We're not really, I mean, yes, we look at the property, the value, the comps, what kind of condition is in, where is it located, what's the rent rates, if we have to take it back, all that kind of stuff. We, we do a big due diligence on the property. Mm -hmm. But our number one goal as a note investor is to actually keep that note for cash flow. And our big Big thing is I like to buy first liens on residential commercial properties where we can actually keep the borrower in the house if we can mm -hmm. and work with them to get back on track of some sort, uh, you know, modification of forbearance, you know, whatever we have to do to keep them in the house. And then if they won't play with us or work with us, there's other ways. If they can't afford to stay, then we work with some extra strategies to get them out. And if they tell us to go pound sand or get ugly, then we just go the legal route and as the bank and the lender have the right to foreclose. So, um, I always like to say we're making America great one defaulted borrower at a time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to make sure everybody has your contact information because you've already given quite a bit of information right up front there. So head over to weclosenotes.com. And then uh, Scott actually has a podcast of his own that is very popular in this niche. Um, and uh, man, I, I was looking at your podcast page and you have, 500 episodes or something now? I mean, that's crazy. Well, we actually, we actually, I recorded 600. episode 670 the other day. Yeah. We started off and we launched the Note Closer Show podcast. We actually did a hundred, our first 149 episodes 
for Facebook Lives because I didn't want to do a podcast originally. I was like, well, we'll do a Facebook Live. It's easy. You know, I'm a one take kind of guy. They were like eight minutes to an hour, depending on, you know, we started off with what, what are we focused on today? Be a fly on the wall in our office. What are we focused on? Mm-hmm. And it, we had such a great following on Facebook and, and YouTube as we started to share that more. I had a buddy of mine that finally convinced me, hey, you need to turn this into a podcast. And there was really no other podcasts out there. There was one that a student of mine started and they stopped it after 100 episodes. And I was like, well, here's some uncharted territory. Let's jump in. Mm-hmm. And so we launched our first true podcast episode, August 21st of 2017. And we've recorded over 500 and some odd episodes since then that are true podcasts. Uh, I got about 30 in the, the hamper that I need to get up and, and rock and rolling. But we focus. Half the time, it's usually me teaching on a specific niche or topic in note investing. We all know real estate investing mm-hmm. is a broad nature, but ours is it dives down into that world of paper. You know, how do you right. find the deals? How do you fund them? What are your exit strategies? And then we bring on the other half of the episodes, usually vendors or people in the industry, or and then we'll mix it up with some mindset and marketing or an occasional, you know, I guess you could say celebrity. We had Steve Sims on for motivation, uh, who's the author of Blue Fishing, made Mark. Uh, uh, Mark Victor Hansen, his wife, Crystal Dwyer Hansen, on uh, mm-hmm. was, was a big mentor of mine early on mindset wise. And then like tomorrow, I'm really excited. I'm actually interviewing Dean Graziosi is coming on the podcast oh, wow. tomorrow. So, um, so, you know, it's just it's such a great, unique. And I always tell people it's a great place to kind of go learn. You know, It's a drip feed. I mean, I love teaching. You know, I know that workshops and other training that we teach on investing. But the podcast is really just a great way for people to kind of do a, a Vulcan mind meld with me if they want to sit through 500 episodes and see how I think and teach. And because the market is so different, um, such a crazy time right now. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens here in the next few months as well. Um, if Biden, what Biden does, if he extends the for, or the foreclosure eviction moratorium where he lets it kind of expire and, and let banks and lenders start to go that foreclosure process. So Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we could spend all day talking here. What would you find valuable? What do you think your audience would find valuable? We could go any, well, any well, number of which way. Yeah. Well, that's just it. I mean, uh, let's, let's start at that, that beginning. Like, how did you get into this, this niche? I mean, that's a pretty big question, but it, it's <laughs> something that when you get into real estate investing, it's not something that would first come to mind. No, I, I agree with that. I mean, I, when I first got started as a real estate investor, I bought my first house in 2001 out of college. You know, um, we looked at 20 houses in a buying one for our primary residence. And then I grew up in a small town down in South Texas called Ingleside. And like th- when I lived there, it was like 3,500 people. My dad owned the whole, I mean, dad owned the hardware store. So I basically grew up working with all sorts of contractors and understood how to build and rehab and fix things. And so we bought a couple of investment properties. Um, in Austin, because you know we had great credit, and basically back in 2002, if you had good credit, you get basically 100% financing. And then our the major employer in the area next to our two investment properties laid off a ton of people. So I went from being a performing, you know, investor to being on the wrong side of non-performing notes. We were struggling to make ends meet. I got laid off at the same time, so trying to pay three first mortgages and three second mortgages on a, a private school teacher salary at the time doesn't make a lot of sense. So. I empathize with people that are behind or struggling to make ends meet because I've been there. Anyway, we got rid of the two investment properties, kept our primary. I went to work in banking and a buddy of mine that I'd worked with beforehand started a mortgage company with a guy guy and a gal by the name of Bob Leonetti and Jamie Kayla out of Austin. And they were traveling. I had a chance to meet with them and they were traveling the country 
speaking on creative financing and owner financing and notes and wraparound mortgages on the Ronald Grand circuit. And I said, this is what I want to do. So I left banking after being there for a couple of years and started doing mortgages. And for four years from 2004 to 2008, I basically had like an apprenticeship. We were originating loans for investors on one side, but then also learning all the creative aspects of real estate investing. And I would say the right way to be a real estate investor. And then when everything hit the fan in 2008 and mortgages dried up, I sold my half of the mortgage company for a buck and just went out and started dialing for dollars, started making phone calls to the same banks that I was originating from, working as a mortgage broker and a banker before. And I started getting these lists, as we call it in the industry, tapes, Excel spreadsheets, basically, where they may have one note on it or may have a thousand different notes on it that we could mm-hmm. I could cherry pick from. And so... That's what I started doing. I just started dialing for dollars, getting lists sent to me, started sharing my journey, how I was looking at these deals with a lot of small apartment loans and commercial loans and residential stuff and started sharing on YouTube way before, you know, um, podcasting, right about the same time podcasting was kind of getting started, but sharing on Facebook, sharing on YouTube, some you know, me, me walking a property, sweat running down the side of my face. And I just started buying dollars, you know, flipped one for six grand, flipped and wholesale another note in San Diego for 35 grand, flipped another note in LA on a 16 unit apartment complex, made a hundred grand on it and just started sharing what I was doing because most people, they understand real estate investing, like a fix and flip mindset or flip this house right. or, you know, Joanna Gaines out of Waco, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or you know, other things out there. And that's, and no investing is not fix and flipping. It's a, it's a whole different mindset. And so I just started sharing my journey, sharing my story, and people really started to pay attention, and people started asking me to speak. And about 2008, I ended up getting divorced and wanted to get out of Austin and just kind of travel a little bit. And I came up with this theoretical journey that I was like, you know what? I'm a big baseball fan. I want to get out and see all the parks. Why not? I'm single now. I'm a a little free. I don't have kids. I don't have a lot of overhead. I can get out of the, the, the town. And so I wrote down this mythical journey of all the 30 major league baseball parks and kind of wrote it down. I actually pulled up ESPN and looked at the schedule for the year and planned it all out. Like I could do this in like 36 weeks. Well, about a week or two later in that same time frame, I had four investment clubs in, the, in across the country reach out to me that were reading my blogs or recommended to me from somebody else. And they all asked me to come speak. I'm like, okay, uh, when would you like for me to come speak on note investing? And they gave me the dates. And by divine intervention, it all lined up perfectly when I would be in that town on this mythical journey. Hmm. And so I was like, okay, all right, somebody out there is watching out for me. So I sold everything I owned in Austin, went on the road, started speaking. And I also plotted the cities that I would be in to meet with bankers, asset managers at local banks to see what they have in their books. Because I could pull up their, their FDIC reports and see what they had and how much they in default. And just what I thought turned in. You know, the 30 to 36 weeks turned into three and a half, four years of nonstop travel and speaking and buying notes. And really, it was like a grassroots effort to, to build where I'm at today. Um, fast forward now, 10, 11 years after that, and it's just been an amazing time. About over a half a billion dollars in debt. We've modified and kept a lot of people in their houses. The thing I'm most proud of is the fact, too, that we've helped launch this other wave of real estate investors that just focus on the note, note side of the business. And they have helped thousands of people stay in their homes or avoid foreclosures by buying the debt at a discount and working to keep people in their houses. And that, that's the thing I get so excited about more than anything else. Um, just the, the movement and the people that we have doing so many good things across the country and, and 
in note investing, it can be truly a win, win, win. A win for the banks because they get this debt, this non-performing debt off their books. A win for the borrower who can stay in the house if they want, they'll work with us, or if they want to leave, there's options for us. And a win for us and our investors that we're buying notes right at a big discount and seeing deals, you know, six to 12 months before it ever hits the foreclosure market or before it ever hits the, you know, the MLS or anything else sees it. We're buying such a cheap discount. We can usually make a pretty good rate, rate of return, whether they reperform or we got to go some sort of legal route. So um, it's, it's just an, it's an interesting time frame. I, you know, with the market being like it is, it's not exactly like what it was in 2008 with all the craziness going on in that market. But I, I will tell you this, I'm licking my chops and my my spidey sense tells me, you know, the rest of the second half of this year is going to be a very, very interesting year if you're in the debt space. We're already, um, Jack's starting to see portfolios coming from banks and lenders on commercial and residential notes that we haven't seen in, in you know, like the last two years. And so it's, it, you know, 2021 is going to be, um, be very profitable if you're in the note or debt game space. Right. So, you know, uh, just to remind everybody, head over to WeCloseNotes.com uh, for more information. He stayed to the end of the episode because I, I think uh, Scott might have a special offer for you uh, to take advantage of something that's coming up at the end of the month. Um, with that, uh, it's, I find it really interesting that you're talking to these banks and it's a different mindset and a different challenge than what I would experience. So I, I talked to a lot of distressed sellers, you know, mm-hmm. um, but um, you're talking to banks who have the mindset of just, they just want it off the books. I mean, that that's really, uh, I'd love to be in that situation. <laughs> it, it, it's an interesting conversation because one of the things banks don't always sell notes year round. And, and if anybody tells you that banks don't sell paper, they're lying because banks do all the banks out there sell debt. Now, like Bank of America, Chase, Wells Fargo, the bigger banks, they're not going to sell it to you unless you can write a $50 million check. Okay. Mm-hmm. But the biggest bang for the buck we see is that smaller regional size bank. And those are the ones most impacted because the way that banks leverage deposits, you know, leverage money, they're lending and for every dollar they take in, they're leveraging it out somewhere between 15 and 50 times. So a non-performing note that's not paying them costs them usually 10 times that in fees. And if they start having a larger percentage going on the default side, last time it was, they never expected us to hit 8% default rate. And then all the, you know, all the dominoes started falling down. Well, we're already at, over, we've been over at 8% for a few months now. Mm-hmm. You know, the one thing that's been saving a lot of markets is appreciation still goes up. And of course the government stepping in to stop foreclosures, but that doesn't mean the banks aren't looking at what they're paying. I mean, they've had a year time frame to see who's asked for a forbearance agreement, who's been paying, who's not been paying, as we say, who's been naughty and nice. And, and they can really evaluate what they want to get off their books. And if they can get off their books, they would rather get 50, 60 cents on the dollar now, what they owed, but now that they can go out and leverage that and rinse and repeat, you know, that 10, 12 mm-hmm. times a year and give a discount to somebody like me to step in and buy that note and take on that problem. I guess you say problem child, but since I buy it at 50 cents on the dollar, it gives me a lot of flexibility to really have a nice you know, conversation with a borrower. You know, the mm-hmm. bank wants it off. We get it at a discount. Doesn't mean the borrower doesn't owe what they owe, but it gives us a lot of flexibility because we didn't originate that loan. And we can really oftentimes 
about 60, 70% of the time we can get the bar back on track and keep them in the house, not have to foreclose, you know, and that's really where we make the biggest bang for a buck is actually in the, in the, in the paper side of keeping things rocking and rolling um, mm-hmm. versus having to foreclose. Now, each state is different in foreclosure timeframes. You know, here in Texas, they do it fast in like 21 days. And then you look at like New York, it can take you three years to foreclose, which I don't buy there. Mm-hmm. But you have to know what's going on in, in particular states. Uh, some people ask if you need a license to do this. A lot of states, if you're if you have a third party servicing company that's handling the collections and they're licensed in that state that covers you, there are a few states. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Illinois wants you to have a debt collector's license, which is like 750 bucks for two years. Uh, Georgia is a bit of a stickler. They want you to have a mortgage broker's license unless you're funding uh, the, the transaction with your self-directed IRA. It's mm-hmm. an exception. Um, Kentucky wants you to have a million dollar bond, which just is a little expensive. We don't buy there. And then other states want you to have a mortgage broker's license in that state to buy debt. And you know, like Washington State, Oregon, they do that. But we don't see a lot of stuff over in those states. For the most part, that makes sense. Uh, everything on the West Coast is way overpriced. So we buy a majority of our debt. You know, um, you know, if you're a football fan, the Big Ten, the SEC, the Big 12 or the ACC networks, I guess you could say. So, the, the you know, Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, Illinois, uh, Missouri, Kansas, uh, Alabama, M- Mississippi, uh, Louisiana, the Carolinas, you know, uh, Florida, as I call God's waiting room. We buy a lot of stuff in those states for the most part. Mm-hmm. No, you know, I suppose in the end, it's it's a numbers game for these banks. You know, it's just they they have their their numbers that they're they're running against these properties, and it's in many times, yeah, they're selling it to you at a discount. But in the end, they're as far as they're concerned, they're probably lo- not losing as much time and money as if they tried to hold on to this and then eventually foreclose and then try to sell and. I mean, uh, you don't know what the state of the property's in. I mean, there's a lot of things that they're taking into account that it makes it worthwhile. Yeah, it totally does. And you got to realize banks aren't in the aren't in the property space. Mm-hmm. They're not in the rental space or the fix and flip space. They're in the paper game. And everybody in the world, for the most part, is in the paper game. It's just that unfortunately, most people are on the wrong side of the payment stream. We're paying out versus paying in, mm-hmm. and the banks, that's what that's why they're so aggressive if you become more than seven days late in your mortgage. That's why the phone starts ringing three times a day or start getting certified letters because the minute that mortgage goes beyond 30 days late, it now becomes less valuable, especially mm-hmm. if it's a newly originated loan. They start losing 5 to 10% of the value of that note for every month they're behind. And mm-hmm. a lot of times we're buying stuff that's six months to six years where there's been no payment. And people always ask, well, if, if something had paid in six years, why hadn't the bank foreclosed? And these portfolios of notes, a lot of times, will get traded and traded and traded on the secondary market. Uh, if you like, a, want to watch a good movie, go watch The Big Short. It's kind of like that. Big Short or Too Big to Fail or mm. uh, a couple or Margin Calls, another one. Uh, but these portfolios will get traded and a company will work on these loans for a while, do 60, 90 days of reach out. The borrowers don't reach out. Then they look to sell that portfolio. Uh, of whatever is left that they haven't gotten the borrowers to to modify off to somebody else. So, or I've even seen funds invest in, in a portfolio of notes and they didn't touch it for like two, three years, which is just a, oh, you know, half the portfolio can be wiped out via tax foreclosure. So it's a different mindset that the banks have versus us looking at a property. Okay, what can we rent it for? 
How much rehab do I need to put into it? Mm-hmm. A lot of times we're looking at assets all across the country that we don't ever see the inside in. And that's mm-hmm. part of why, if you're a note investor, part of why I like buying occupied assets where the borrower's still in it, because I know every property is going to need paint and carpet and some cleanup. I just mm-hmm. know that. Okay. But if it's occupied, it's usually going to have the electrical. It's usually going to have the plumbing. It's usually going to have the air conditioner that didn't go off on vacation in the HVAC heating unit this time of year. Mm-hmm. If it's occupied, it's going to be warm inside versus having a pipe burst. And now we have an interior water feature, you know, up in Minnesota, mm-hmm. Fargo. It gets pretty damn cold at night. You know what I mean? Right. So that's that's part of the things that we like chasing those type of deals. It also, there's a lot of exit strategies depending on what the bar ends up doing. And we have a lot more strategies available uh, to work with a bar if it is an occupied asset versus a vacant asset. Now, if it's vacant, mm-hmm. they've moved on. Then we're working to foreclose or trying to track down the bar to do, either do a deed in lieu of foreclosure where they sign the property back to us, or you know, we'll even incentivize them by giving them cash for keys where we'll give them you know five hundred to ten thousand bucks mm-hmm. to sign the property over to us, give us the keys, and walk away. So just right. it's, a, it's a different mindset, different due diligence. I mean, we do have to you know track the borrower down and do some due diligence with the bar and, we'll, and try to figure out what they're going to do. But uh, it's 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 just it's it's such an interesting interesting day in the office. There's uh, there's a lot of the same things we do in finding deals and raising capital for these, but it's also interesting hearing talking to borrowers that want to work with you, and that's always a great feeling when you keep somebody in their house. And then you also have borrowers that just they shouldn't have been at home to begin with, you know, sure. and they need to move need to move on. You know, this this is kind of a pretty. It might be a difficult question to answer, but could you kind of give us or walk us through like an example of what somebody could expect out of something like this? I th- yeah, I think no, I'd love to paint do a little. Yeah, yeah. Paint so, a picture. yeah, let's let's happy little trees. All right, let's uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's paint the flowers. But now, um, so I'll give you an example. Uh, a deal that we're working on right now. A borrower owes about one hundred twenty-five grand. Mm-hmm. On a house that's worth about 100, 110. Okay. Okay. Haven't paid in over 18 months. So they were def- in default prior to COVID. And here's the thing most people don't realize this, but uh, before COVID hit, one in 10 Americans, actually one in nine Americans was already 30 days late in their mortgage. Okay. That's one pre- in pre-COVID. nine. One in nine. Yeah, wow. exactly. Okay. So I didn't expect that number. That's, that's- most people. It's scary, isn't it? It's totally scary. Most people don't expect that. But I mean, 85% of Americans are one mixed page, missed paycheck away from being literally in default. So anyway, borrows 125, house is worth maybe 110, mm-hmm. right? Uh, hadn't paid in 18 months. So we offered 50 cents on the dollar of the lesser of the value or the balance. Well, mm-hmm. the lesser of it is the Values at one ten, so they're over encumbered by fifteen grand. They couldn't sell it traditionally if they wanted to because they owe more than what it's worth. So we offered 55, 50, 55 grand on the deal. Um, our goal is to buy that note. Like I said, fifty cents on that. We get it at fifty grand, and they got. Uh, we just throw some easy numbers on. Let's say it's a five percent mortgage interest rate on that they've got on their mortgage. Well, since we bought it at fifty cents on the dollar, if we can get them back on track, say, listen. John Smith, no, you haven't paid in 18 months. Are you back to work? I know you don't have the 18 months of payments. Could you start making your existing payment now? Yes. Great. Could you pay anything extra to get on top, get caught back up? Well, I don't know. Well, could you pay an extra month or could you pay $200 a month extra on top of your normal payment? So 
the, the mortgage is at 5%. We bought it at 50 cents in the dollar. And we get them back paying on time again. That's like a 10% cash and cash return over 12 months mm-hmm. right there. Now, if we get them to pay $100, $200 extra, that usually bumps it up another couple points. So we're looking at mid, mid-teens if we can get them paying a little bit extra. Now, if we bought it at 50 cents in the dollar now, but now we have the borrower back on track, they're paying on time for 12 months. After 12 months of on-time payments, which we're not collecting ourselves, we always use a third-party servicer to collect it. They're licensed. They're not violating any mm-hmm. CFPB laws. Um, if we can get it back on track after 12 months, it's now considered a reperforming note. And I could sell that note now back on the secondary market, back to banks, back to investment institutions, somewhere at 80 to 90 cents of what's owed. All right. So now I bought it at 55. It was 110. I sell it, let's just say, at uh, 90 cents in the dollar, 110. That comes down to uh, 99,000. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a pretty good return. It's a $44,000 profit plus the 12 months of payments plus anything extra that I can get the bar to bring any extra skin in the game. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to be a rocket science to figure out that that's a pretty good return on investment if we can do that. Now, that's what we hope for. Let's go on the opposite side of the spectrum. If we buy that note at 55 and the borrower says, no, I don't want to do anything with you, pound sand, then we go the legal route. It probably costs us somewhere around five grand to foreclose. We'll have probably about $1,500 in servicing costs. So if we're in at 55 plus those costs, we're in at 61. House is worth 111. We'll list the, you know, we'll foreclose, list the property probably around uh, 85, 90 cents of value. Now, if we had, it takes a year to foreclose, hopefully the properties come back up. Um, I usually do it as a wash as far as appreciation compared to what we have to rehab. It's part of the reason we buy occupied assets is there's less rehab. Mm-hmm. And if we list it at 85, 90 cents on the dollar at the foreclosure auction, we'll often get bidders these days because people are overbidding. So in at 61, we sell it at 90, 95. That's still a pretty good return on investment, $30,000, $35,000 in profit on our, you know, our $61,000, $62,000 investment a year ago. Mm-hmm. So uh, if we foreclose and nobody pays at the auction, then we will take a little bit more time and evaluate the market. Maybe we'll fix it up and sell it as a traditional REO. Some of our students are then, that, no, I don't want to sell it as an REO. I want to keep it as a rental. So they'll keep it as a rental or they'll offer up owner financing to other people or they'll just, you know, if it needs a lot of work, they'll just sell it to a, a local, you know, weekend warrior or, uh, you know, fix her up or special and, and make their money back plus some profit and move on. And, and now next time instead of buying one note, they're using the profits to go buy two or three notes, depending on what they're buying it. Right. You know, this is, there's a lot of nuances associated with this and I can see where I'm going to have to point people to your, your content and your page. I mean, you're, you're over 500 episodes, that are on your site. I mean, uh, there's a lot of detail here because I can't even imagine how a person would just get into this and randomly start calling banks and, and thinking that people are going to send you defaulted note list. I'm so glad you said that Jack, because a lot of people that oh, I want to get in the notes, I'm just going to walk into my local bank. I want to buy your notes and it doesn't work that way. Um, right. Small banks, you know, one-off branches. Yeah, it's the person that made the loan is off on the asset manager, but they can't afford to take a big discount because they're such a smaller bank. Um, and if you're going to be down for dollars calling banks, you're not going to call the customer service or loss mitigation. They're not even the right departments. Mm-hmm. The internal departments at banks and lending institutions out there go by a couple of names. Special assets managers is one title. 
the secondary marketing manager, secondary marketing department is another one. Um, whole loan trading for some of the bigger institutions out there. That's another department or chief credit risk officer. So those four of the titles, you could literally go to LinkedIn and type in those four names and find thousands of people on LinkedIn they can reach out to. But the biggest mistake we see new investors doing is they can say, oh, I want to buy your notes and REOs. And that's not the case. If you say REO when you're dialing for dollars, the switchboard operator or the person on there is just going to forward you to the REO department and you're just going to go into a, a voicemail box and tell you, mm -hmm. they're going to tell you to call the realtor. The non-performing note side, the distressed asset side is a different department, often in a different building, often in a different state. And so you have to know there's specific things you want to say and don't want to say. You never want to say, hey, I want to broker your deals. They don't need you to broker. They got plenty of people. Mm. You always want to say you're buying for your own portfolio. And, and then know what you're looking for. I'm looking for non-performing notes. And you, the more specific you are, the less likelihood you are to get a list. Because you got to realize these asset managers are dealing with trades and information. You want to make it very easy for them to either just hit the download button or export all the content they've got on their portfolio to a spreadsheet and email it to you. And then you can cherry pick it. But if you're looking for like, oh, I want stuff in one zip code in Austin, Texas, go do something else. Oh, I want to buy just in San Diego, California. I'm sorry, go do something else. Note investing is really, I hate to say this, but you're, the most effective note investors aren't ones that are trying to just do it in one city or one state, but they're looking at three to five states to start off with. Mm -hmm. And then going from there as they understand uh, the, the, the nuances of the, you know, the foreclosure timeframes in those cities, if it's a judicial state, judicial foreclosure or non-judicial foreclosure. Also, as they get to know the, the cities and the markets, you know, mm -hmm. each you know, day's on market, you need realtors to pull comps for you. You need to have buyers there in case you do end up taking the REO back. You want to make sure that you're buying in cities usually of, you know, 25 to 50,000 or greater for the most part, not a little small, you know, less than a thousand people. So there's there's some nuances. The, the beautiful thing is it's not it's not rocket scientists. You just have to basically approach it as a banker's mindset versus a fix and flipper mindset. And that's people that come from the fix and flip side will often overbid because they're used to looking at MAO, you know, maximum allowable offer. Well, let's take ARV times 70% minus money cost. We don't go off of ARV in the note business. We go off of as is value. And the, as we call it, UPB, the unpaid principal balance, not payoff, but principal balance. So those are, that's a different mindset. If you you try to approach notes from a fix and flip mindset, you'll, you'll overpay and get in a lot of trouble. And that's not what you want to be. Yeah, no, I, like I said, there's a, there's a lot going on here. I mean, we could spend an entire episode just talking about how people would have to build out their network associated with where these properties are at. You're talking about having realtors running comps, you're probably going to have to have even more relationships just so that you can cover your butt. <laughs> let me let me share something with you there. It's not that, it, honestly, you're exactly right. That's what most people think. Oh, I'm going to be buying in 20 states. I got like, no, you, you may look at stuff in 20 states, but here's the thing. There's a great tool called Google <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that will help you find realtors. There are real estate investing clubs in just about every city out there, or you can find meetup groups with investors. And so that's one big thing I teach is that we're really, we're not six degrees away from Kevin Bacon. We're one degree away from getting a hold of the right person, the right party. And then we have vendors too that understand the note business that you can reach out to, and they can get you a realtor in an area to pull comps or do a BPO or get a title company to pull title on a property. So you can see whether it leans out there. It, it, 
it can be overwhelming if you're coming from an uneducated space, but there are roughly about seven to eight vendors that we use on a routinely basis for every, every note investor uses. They obviously use realtors, title company, but there's also a whole variety of things there. They're there to make it easy for you. You don't have to do it all yourself. And so mm-hmm. um, that fear is very normal for somebody approaching it, but it's actually, a, you're a lot closer to success and having a, a team than most people will realize. Sure. Well, if you like to, to learn more, I mean, Scott has a virtual note buying workshop at the end of the month. And I think he's going to be kind enough to even give it to you half off. Use the code Jack, but uh, head over to WeCloseNotes.com. Yeah, we actually have two things that we do. We've got a, a one day kind of a uh, teaser course offered every third Saturday of the month. That's NoteWeekend.com. And if you, it's usually 49 bucks. But if you use the code Jack, I'll give it to you for free. And then if you want to take my three-day course, like Jack mentioned, it's usually $5.99 for you and a spouse or a partner. If you use the same code Jack, I'll give it to you at half off. And if you're a uh, first responder or a, a past military or current military, we comp you guys in. So you just got to email me and we'll be glad to comp the military and first responders in at no, no cost. It's our gift for saying thank you for doing some good work for us. Well, that, that's, that's awesome. Um, I'm going to uh, make sure to include all of that information in the show notes. I always end with one last question. Is there a question you wished I would have asked you today? Um, one of the big things I think with note investing is you can't go get a note. I uh, can't go get a bank loan on a note. And so with note investing, you've got to use capital, you know, OPM. We use a lot of other people's money. IRA accounts are a great source for investing. Raising capital is not hard. Uh, it's actually a lot easier than most people expect. There's a lot of private money sitting on the sidelines and IRAs are a great way to do it. So, that would be the biggest thing. How do you fund these deals? Private capital, OPM, IRA accounts, 401k accounts is how we get funded. I mean, you sometimes get lines of credit with banks, but for the most part, you're going to be raising capital. And it's easier to do that than most people think, ladies and gentlemen. It's not hard. They're, look, if you're in a group of 10, one or two or three of your people you're in the room with is in default in some sort of fashion. Mm-hmm. Think about that being nationwide. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities on both on the residential and the commercial space in distressed debt. So I don't care where you're at, whether you're in Fargo or Fargo, North Dakota or Freer, Texas, there's distressed debt. You just got to know where to look and it's actually easier than you might think. So, Well, I would, I would think that'd be the case, especially if you're buying property at 50 cents on the dollar. I'm it's, buying the debt, Jack, not the property. The debt, the debt. I, well, I wish, and, you know, and, and I make my money to my negotiation, but yes, the debt, in this case, the pen is mightier than the hammer. So mm-hmm. that's that's the big thing. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunities. There's a lot of places out there. You just got to know what you're looking at and uh, know how to do your due diligence and understand the options that are available to you and go from there. So, Well, Scott, I, I really appreciate the education. I mean, I, I this this is very interesting. And like I mentioned to you before we started that I, I, we could we could probably keep going. I mean, there's a lot to cover, but this kind of gives everybody kind of a high level. If you want more detail, make sure you head over to WeCloseNotes.com. And guys Scott. and gals out there, do Jack a favor. We as podcasters love it when our listeners give feedback. So if you're listening to this on iTunes, click that subscribe button, leave them a five-star review. We love getting feedback and Jack is doing an amazing job with his podcast and the guests that he's had on and just the knowledge. Take that five minutes and do Jack a favor. All right. Leave a review, subscribe, and make sure to tell one friend about his podcast. 
Wow. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it, man. This has been the REI Mastermind Network. You can already tell that we've made some changes and a few more are on the way. If you are interested in what we have planned, head over to patreon.com slash REI Mastermind and support the show today. Financial contributions are always appreciated along with a like, share, and review. It really helps us grow and reach more people with this valuable information. See you next time and tell a friend.